everyone. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are Zach and Krista Horton, your hosts, and in this episode we're studying 1 Corinthians 1 through 7 um, and learning about temples, specifically our own personal temples. But before we start, I did want to say thank you and hello to new friends that I met this weekend at the Multiply Goodness Jubilee. Um, I was there in the small seed tent helping facilitate some of the discussions going on and what a beautiful event they put on. Um, It was just a really great time and it was just really fun to be able to meet some of you in person. So thank you so much for coming and saying hi to those of you that did and hopefully those that I didn't get to see will see another time soon. And if there are any guys out there listening, um, it's just, it was great to, to bond with you over, you know, that one time when we were, you know, sup, you know, sup guys. Sorry, yeah, Zach wasn't invited. Anyway, um, we do want to, I guess, maybe clarify a little bit on um, some questions that we have had for from a past episode. So this comes from episode eighty-three. It was the episode entitled "Ship." What was it? Acts. The end of Acts. Last last episode in Acts. So we've had a couple questions, and I might even call them. What would you call them? disagreements (laughs) on some of the comments we made and well not to throw you under the bus but it was actually Zach who said it (laughs) but anyway we talked about the last doctrine that we talked about we were going through all of the core doctrines and commandments was the last one that we talked about in that episode and maybe you listen to it and we're going to explain a little more and hopefully clarify some of the comments that we shared there but we also wanted to let you know and maybe even in full disclosure that those episodes and some of our episodes um are not perfect (gasps) shocker all of them (laughs) we are just a voice who loves scriptures and i hope that we you know and understand i'm sure many of you do that we are not um by any means the official voice in any of this stuff and we for sure sometimes don't convey everything that we hope to say in our hearts in exactly the right way because we're imperfect and that episode specifically we remembered that came out but it was i think it was past midnight we were preparing to leave on a flight early the next morning for a family vacation and we were trying to get two episodes done in one night and it so it wasn't very pretty i remember the comment and we both kind of thought oh we probably should re-edit but we didn't anyway thank you for being patient with our imperfect um podcast that is just our way of getting more of God's word out into the world um, and connecting with you guys, which has been so fun. So even though we just like even your comments that might disagree with what we're saying. So it's all great. The feedback is really good. Um, So we wanted to take this, our question segment in this episode and kind of readdress the question of commandments because there was some really good discussion that came up um, uh, as we've kind of reconsidered this and, and went back and listened to what we said. Um, I think what put people on edge, if you go back and listen to it, is we took a we we stated a pretty hard line on commandments um, that obedience to commandments or disobedience to commandments can damage uh, your future. And I used an example 
where I that I'll sometimes say to youth when I'm speaking to youth, um, imagine when you're kneeling down in front of the person you want to propose to, and you propose to them, and they look at you and say, actually, no, I don't want to marry you because of your past choices. I can't. And I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, which I can totally see why. Um, so if I can make a couple of points. Number one, I think this is just a good principle for all of us. Um, the gospel is meant to be taught um, and maybe more importantly, is meant to be learned in balance. Every gospel doctrine or principle has a balancing gospel doctrine or principle. And to exclude one side over uh, and, and emphasize the other is oftentimes put ourselves out of balance. For example, mercy and justice are not competing gospel truths, they're balancing ones. And so to emphasize uh, mercy and to exclude justice is to be out of balance. However, sometimes uh, teachers, and us included, and you'll hear general authorities do this all the time, uh, will emphasize one side over the other because they sense that we are out of balance. And so that if they sense that we are out of balance on the mercy side, then they're going to speak more heavily about mercy. Um, so the caution, I think, for all of us is as we listen and as we learn the gospel, not to get too attached to one specific statement by podcasters, um, and or even by general authorities, or one specific scripture, but to make sure that we're studying all things in the whole that they're intended. And so it is a true principle that our obedience influences our agency. And I referenced this in that episode, but I'll read the verse that uh, maybe I should have read then. This is 2 Nephi chapter 2, um, and it's a famous verse. It's verse 27. It says, Men are free according to the flesh. And all things are given them which are expedient unto man. I often have my students, when we study agency, I'll have them go on a quick scripture search for the word free, for the phrase free agency. And they realize pretty quickly it does not appear. There's no such thing as free agency. There is agency, even moral agency, but that agency is not free, but it leads to freedom. So listen carefully. Men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. They are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, meaning the correct use of agency leads to liberty or freedom. If I obey commandments, it creates more agency. It creates freedom. Um, or they are free to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil, for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. And so to disobey or to choose rebellion is to choose captivity. The very practical application of this is that when we're obedient to principles, it creates more agency. So this isn't a good example, but it's one that's maybe uh, not as touchy because it's not related to gospel doctrines or truths. If I choose in school to be obedient to the laws of that school, to work hard, to get good grades and, and work hard at tests, etc., etc., my choice of secondary of, of post-secondary schools is widened. Uh, my agency is increased. Whereas if I choose not to do those things, then my choices afterwards are shrunk. And so the whole point that we wanted to make with commandments was just that. And maybe I chose the wrong example. Um, however, if there's one thing I've come to sense in the youth is that they are often out of balance on this point on one side or the other. Um, I have plenty of youth that are out of balance on the repentance and forgiveness side. In other words, they think because they've made mistakes, there's no repentance and there's no forgiveness, which I 
to that, of course, the answer is there is repentance. God has a has almost unending patience, uh, and mercy is the name of the game. And so if there's a sin in your teenage years, of course, that sin can be repented of, and you can change and become a new person so that when you're proposing, you can say, that's who I was, but it's not who I am now. And hopefully that's how that proposing person would respond. Yeah, that's what I did as a teenager, but I'm not that person anymore. And then the person to whom you're proposing would fall in love, and it'd be great, and you'd have a great wedding, etc. However, there are also many youth that are on the other side, that because God is merciful, they do not take their current choices seriously. They think, I can do what I do now, and because I'm in this trial period of life, and because I'm in these teenager years, I can do what I want, and later on, Uh, I'll make the choices I need to make. And so I do try and emphasize with them, no, your current actions do have an impact on your future choices. There is forgiveness and there is repentance, but um, even though there's repentance and forgiveness, it cannot erase all of the consequences of our disobedience. So long way of saying, thank you for your feedback. Hopefully we understand that obedience to commandments and forgiveness for sin are balancing principles. And hopefully that makes sense to everyone. If it didn't, then... Let us know and we will talk about it again. (laughs) So let's get to the episode today. We're excited to be starting into these new chapters. Well, not new chapters, a new book. We're starting into 1 Corinthians. And like Zach already said, this is chapters 1 through 7. There um, are, Paul uses a symbol in these chapters and he uses one twice in chapter 3, verse 16, and in chapter 6, verse 19. He uses the simple the symbol temple. In chapter three, he's talking about the church, uh, the Corinthian church specifically. Paul uh, loves Corinth. He spent about a year and a half there um, and had some great missionary companions that were there with him. He's probably writing, this is, by the way, it's even though it's called 1 Corinthians, it's actually the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He references a letter that he wrote in chapter five. So this is the second time he's written to them. But we don't have it, We don't right? have that letter, okay. no. Okay, yeah. And uh, he's gotten some reports from the Corinthians, even though he sent that first letter, that they kind of disregarded it and that things in Corinth have not changed and even in a lot of aspects gotten worse. And because he loves the place and loves the people that are there and spent so much time there, you get a lot of passion and emotion in uh, these Corinthian epistles, which is why they're often a lot of people's uh, favorite ones to read. Um But he uses the symbol of temple to describe the church in chapter 3. You, meaning you, the church, are the temple of God. And then in chapter 6, he wants to speak specifically about the body. Your body is the temple of God. And the first question we asked ourselves is, those are two really good examples of what could be temples in our lives, but what else could be a temple? And we started thinking of just some ideas of what could be temples for us. Well, and many of you know this from the Bible dictionary in our in our scriptures that talks about the home being the other place in comparison to the actual physical temple worship. So that's certainly one that we thought of, that the family um, would be another place that we could consider a temple. I loved, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but Joseph Smith going into the sacred grove, it wasn't the sacred grove. It was just a grove of trees that his family was working on felling to make space for farmland. It became sacred because of what he did there and what happened as a result. And I've often thought how beautiful a principle that our working spaces can become temples with the proper application of prayer and revelation. So a bedroom, an office space, a bus, a train can be a temple if we do the right things. 
I also, um, you know, we, we talk about, I guess I'm thinking specifically in that one, verse 6, verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Um, I think we can kind of think of that in two different ways. Our body, our physical body, our physical temple, but also the spiritual temple of who we are and our mm. individual self, our spirit, um, our eternal nature. So what we want to invite you to do as you're studying this week is pick a temple, uh, one that you're currently working on either creating or one that you're maybe stressed is kind of falling apart a little bit. If it's family or if it's a quorum or a class or a relationship or a specific physical space, pick a temple. And then as you study 1 Corinthians 1 through 7, ask yourself the questions that we're going to ask and answer and see what, what the scriptures would say back to you. The first question we want to ask uh, is, as Paul writes, this is in verse 17 in chapter 3, he, uh, he, his problem with what's happening in Corinth is that uh, people are defiling the temple of God. And so our first question is, what is it that defiles these temples, whatever they may be? And the second question is, what is it that can reclaim or re-sanctify these temples? So in answer to that question that Zach mentioned, what defiles a temple? Um, I'm going to actually start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right where we see Paul starting. He says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Um, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. And then he poses the question in verse 13, is Christ divided? Um, so often I think that we create, well, maybe even always, we create these boxes that we put ourselves in or we put other people in, or we put um, places or ourselves, ourselves into, these, um, into these boxes of understanding. And I think we do that as humans because we're human. We need to understand things, and sometimes it's easy to put things into these boxes or um, divide ourselves. Um, but that is not um, the way that Christ works. He is a work of, of greatness, of of big, I guess. <laughs> My um, experience actually this weekend at the Jubilee, the Multiply Goodness is all about um, gathering with other faiths and uniting under that blanket of Christ. And I just love that mission so much. And really the thing that overwhelmed me the most being there was exactly that, that overwhelming feeling that even though we can put divisions among ourselves, um, that is not the way that God sees us. God sees such a bigger picture. And um, here in um, chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, God is faithful. You were called by him into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I like that idea of this fellowship that not only among church members, um, not only among our family, but also just the world, God's creations that we are a fellowship. And I think it gives us that bigger picture to realize that the picture is much bigger than just these little divisions that we can sometimes classify ourselves into. It's kind of a double-edged sword because 
um, as I think about some of these current social movements, uh, I think there's so much good that's happening in being able to draw attention to some of our brothers and sisters in the world that have gone unrecognized and unnoticed for, for so many years. However, the double-edged sword side of that is uh, that can almost serve to create more divisions and more groups and more separations. And so people begin to label themselves, as Paul mentions, uh, by this aspect of their, of their identity or this aspect of their identity. And Paul's point to the church, and I think it's great to expand it to all of us, is just, hey, we are all children of God. And if, you're, and if you don't even believe that, we're at least all human. And we all strive for and yearn for some of the same things, for love and acceptance and for closeness and for a connection with something greater than ourselves. Um, so that's, a, that's maybe the application of the principle on a large scale, but I'm also thinking in families of things that might divide us, of how much uh, current pressures in the world are working to kind of separate family members from each other into different groups and different activities and how hard it is to keep your family unified and perfectly joined together. That's the King James phrase there for unified, perfectly joined together. And that's a battle. Um, but I think Paul's, that's Paul's intent there is to draw attention to that thing that might be defiling a temple, those divisions and those separations. Yeah, and I think even just having that in on our mind and recognizing that and understanding that, I really like what you said, Zach, about that um, understanding what's happening and pulling back and saying, why am I feeling divided from this? Or why mm -hmm. does this space or this group of people feel divided? Because I think when we dig that up, we can start to solve some of those yeah. division problems that we might be facing. Uh, my verse that that uh, came to me as I was looking at what defiles a temple is in chapter 5, so closer to the end of the study. Uh, Paul uses a word in verse 1. It is reported... This is kind of the second of his problems. The first one is that there's dissension and problems. And uh, the second uh, one is that there is, he says in verse 1, fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. It's worse than things that are happening among the Gentiles. And then he goes into some gruesome details about what that looks like. What's interesting to me is the word for fornication, the Greek word there is porneia which of course is the root of the modern word pornography. But as I looked up that word in more depth, it does, of course, and Paul uses it here, mean sins of sexual immorality, which is a big problem in Corinth. But there's an underlying principle or underlying, I don't know, negative principle behind that word too. The word porneia also means anything that is taken into the body that um, comes from the world specifically from idol worship in the world. So they use that word porneia to describe the eating of uh, flesh of animals that were uh, sacrificed to heathen idols. And as I thought about it, I think there are some connections between what's happening here in Corinth and what we might be looking at in the world that we live in. Uh, one of the things about Corinth that's interesting is it's this kind of crossroads of the Roman Empire. You've got ships coming into port. You've got people traveling through. There's, there's all kinds of groups and individuals and religions and ideologies, etc. And in the middle of all of that is this little small Christian church that's growing. And I think the world that we live in looks a lot like that with all kinds of crossroads and, and um, different ideologies and religions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have to be so careful as disciples of Christ about what we ingest, 
about what we allow into our temple, whether that temple is our body or that temple is our home or our family. Um, I was reading this week, uh, the church came out with, uh, and maybe you got the email about a, uh, a letter related to the word of wisdom. And as soon as we read it, we're like, oh, I wonder what it is. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people were thinking, here it is, here's the, here's the coffee announcement. Or, and it wasn't, it was just an, a re-emphasis of some of the principles and some of the specifics about the Word of Wisdom. So I was reading the comments in the Church Newsroom Instagram post, and there were some really interesting comments with people wrestling over this. There were some people really frustrated at how come the church didn't state X, Y, or Z, or this is less healthy than this, or drinking this substance is actually better for your body than this. And, and uh, I've, I've posed that question a lot to people. Um, for example, there is there's pretty solid science out there to, to state that some of the things named in our uh, explanation of the Word of Wisdom can be healthy to the body in certain aspects. For example, red wine has high antioxidants, and if you uh, drink a small amount of it, it can actually be good for your body, etc., etc., etc. And there's things like that you can make about any statements or, or any specifics of the Word of Wisdom. Um, and as I was reading this, I was reminded of this verse in Doctrine and Covenants section 39. This is verse 34, where the Lord says, All things unto me are spiritual, and not at any time have I given you a law which was temporal, neither any man nor the children of men, neither Adam your father whom I created. All things unto me are spiritual. So here, as Paul's talking about sexual immorality, um, or anything else that defiles the body or defiles our temple, something from the world that we twist and then ingest into our physical body or ingest into our family. It's not just about physical health. The Word of Wisdom is not a law of physical health. It's one of the biggest misconceptions about the Word of Wisdom. It's a law of spiritual health. You read the blessings that are attached to it, and you read closely. It does mention run and not be weary and walk and not faint, but then you go and listen to President Uchtdorf talk about what that means, and you realize this is not a law of physical health. It's a law of spiritual health. It's a law that allows our body to truly be a temple of God. And that's Paul's message. These things that are happening in your lives, this pornea, it's not about the physical, or not only about the physical aspects of it, it's about the fact that it defiles your temple. And a temple is a place where you should be able to receive revelation from God. And if there is something that's coming into that temple, your body, your home, your workspace, your, your bedroom, whatever it is, if there's something from the world that is coming into that space and is defiling it so that you cannot talk to God there, that's defilement and that's ruining it. And we need to change it. Paul says something very similar um, to that. What you just summed up there, Zach, in verse chapter 6, verse 12. He says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I think when we're thinking of this on that spiritual level, um, what is beneficial to me? What is What am I keeping myself from being mastered by when... Um, we're thinking of it in a spiritual sense. So even though something might be physically okay for us, it's not spiritually healthy for our body or for our family or for whatever temple it is that we're currently thinking about. Mm -hmm. So if those are some things that defile it and you'll find other things in your study, what is it then that could re-sanctify or rededicate that temple? What if, what if, you, what if one of these things has crept, in, crept into your life? What do you do about it? Well, my thought is to that 
is that you start at the beginning. You start at the foundation. If you're building an actual building, if you're pulling down a building, um, you start at the beginning. I would even use President Nelson's words when he talked recently about remodeling our home and our family, um, that it's a remodel. You start at the foundation. At the foundation. And Paul teaches that same thing. I'm going to start reading in um, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, or hay, each one's work will become obvious. Um, and we know what's obvious when you have a foundation of wood or hay as we're thinking of a real building but what if we do build our foundation on these costly stones or maybe setting our our sights on something that is of less worth or maybe of more value um, but nothing compares to that foundation in Jesus Christ and and I think that is truly where the state strength comes in that solid foundation. Well, you think that's been President Nelson's, one of President Nelson's driving messages is, as you mentioned, remodeling our homes into places of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, remodeling our temples, whatever they may be, and focusing more on the Savior. We had discussions in church in a lot of the meetings I was in about how can we focus even more on the Savior, even in the small things, in the way that we introduce ourselves to our neighbors, in the way that we announce the beginning of sacrament meeting, how can we make sure that we're very clear to ourselves and others that we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? So I love that idea. Well, to finish, we read this verse already. This is chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. And then he says something really interesting, which I have come to love. Paul will emphasize this in a couple of places, and Peter will talk about a similar thing when he gets to his epistles. He says, uh, you are your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Um, I have, and you've heard people too say things like, "Well, it's my body; I can do with it what I want," or "It's my home," or "It's my life," etc. And Paul emphasizes very clearly: it is absolutely not your life, nor is it your body. Uh, as important as it is in this study that we realize that we can make things into a temple, we have to be very clear whose temple it is. It's not your temple, it's his. Jesus Christ paid a price for your life. Without that price, you wouldn't have the life that you have. And so it belongs to him. And so when he makes statements through his apostles or prophets or through the revelations of the Holy Ghost to you about how you should live your life, whether it's what you should ingest into your body or how you should run your home, he has every right to do that because you are not your own. You were bought with a price. If there was a way to understand temples, it's because it's, it's that temples are built with a very clear idea of whose they actually belong to. Um, maybe the starting point for our temples is to remember whose they are, who they actually belong to. To go back to another verse that I um, just read, but chapter 3, verse 9, for we are God's co-workers. We, not only are we his, 
but we get to work with him. We can receive revelation from him. Um, He will teach us what we need to do in order to build these strong foundations and know how to keep our temples as holy as he wants them to be and as holy as we need them to be to um, be his disciples on earth today. Um, We're so grateful for this um, study this week and grateful that you guys are here listening. Thank you so much for your support. We hope that you have a great week.